And I'd like to use the occasion to address some of your questions. I say address them. I don't know if I can answer them. Um, you know, I think you answer them, but I'll address them and you can take in what I'm saying and see how that affects you. First of all, it's just a simple question on the person asked on the word distinction. And it's this phrase, though one's former body be devoured by crows, when a person's jitta has been strengthened for a long time by faith, open, possible, virtue, taking that ethical shift. So the level of consciousness is rooted in virtue rather you know, learning. One studies, one does some learning, not just intellectual learning, but really studying how things work. Uh, generosity, giving, open-heartedness and wisdom. One really gets the right messages and uses them and repeats them. One is able to use wisdom uh, both as a tool and also as a repository. So when one's jitter is fortified by this, even if you, when your body falls apart, <laughs> or as it will do, the chitta goes upward, goes through distinction. Well, distinction here means uh, just it's going to uh, a noble place, a distinguished place, place of some, some uh, gravity, beauty. Uh, it's distinguished. Um, that's what this refers to. In the language, again, it's uh, all language in a way is metaphorical, isn't it? But goes upward. Why does he use that term? Because that's how you that's how it's experienced. <laughs> Lifted. Uh, that's how it's felt. Uh, distinction, the sense of one feels one's been elevated by by the fortified jitta. So person asks the question. There are needs which are essential to the continuation of life. For example, the four nutriments of life list food, sense contact, mental volition, and consciousness. When these needs are threatened, the chitta search for stability and security in the external world becomes particularly urgent. The pandemic, result in economic crisis, related global problems make this particularly poignant for many people, how does a practitioner relate the search for security around basic needs to the search for stability within oneself? What themes are helpful for stabilizing the jitta when such basic needs are threatened? Yeah. Well, get get the right food in brief. Actually, when the Buddha referred to these um, four foods, he didn't speak of them in very uh, flattering ways uh, uh, yeah, because he said when you take these experiences and you feed upon them he says then uh, it weakens the chitta mm -hmm. so if you look in the Sanyuta Nikaya um, Book of the Twelve, I think Sutta 11 and also Sutta 63 he says well you know material food just imagine you have a couple crossing the desert with their, their son and uh, they reckon look we're all going to die you know we've got to cross this desert and we're all going to die 
uh, why don't we just eat our son? Then at least two of us will survive. Yeah. So he said, do you think when they, they ate their son, they enjoyed it? Do you think they said, oh, this is great, you know? And he said, no, no, no. This is the way you should regard material food. And he's making a powerful point. <laughs> and he said, uh, contact. He said, use the analogy of contact is like uh, a cow with a skin stripped off. So the cow feels flies biting it. It goes in the water, water creatures bite it. So this is how you should regard contact. Uh, mental volition, he says, it's like two big strong men dragging a small man to, to a blazing charcoal pit. And he can't get away. This is called mental volition. This is the willpower that drags us, or the impetuous mind or the impulsive mind. Yeah. Consciousness, he said, consciousness, just to use the analogy of uh, 300 spears. So you stab someone with 100 spears in the morning, stab them in the afternoon, 100 spears, stab them in the evening, 100 spears. So this is consciousness, just keep stabbing this stuff. And he said, what is, what is the cause and the condition for these foods? It's called craving, craving for existence. This is how we got here into this predicament. This is not cheerful stuff, um, uh, but I think, you know, he's using a powerful analogy for some reason. And uh, we say, well, what if you don't, you look at these things, you don't actually feed your heart on these. Naturally, we do exist in a world where material food is needed, but we don't feed a heart on it. We're not dining and, uh, you know, um, kind of going out into uh, gourmet stuff. We're just taking food for necessity, um, you know. And you say, well, so you know, contact, when you feed on contact, you tend to keep wanting more of it. What if contact is something that is understood? Because with the mind, there's always contact is always arising. And we're able to be not so that reaching out for it. Uh, then, and what if mental volition, instead of being this impulsive dragging you onwards of, of patterns, of habits, of impulses, of addictions, of compulsive behavior, what if that could be not fed upon something we feel, oh, great, it's, a, you know, feeling really sort of energized by it, uh, which we can do, you know. You can feel quite energized by projects, business, work, um, entertainments. And when we're getting ahead and doing stuff, we can get quite obsessive and absorbed into it and quite insensitive, actually. What if you're just using mental volition as something that you deliberately, clearly turn rather than feed upon you, use it? And what if consciousness is something that you contemplate and understand it? All this will fortify the chitta, strengthen it. And this is very necessary in the world. Um, so that we've got some place of uh, detachment and, and security and strength within conditions as they exist. Um, you know, this time with all these problems and crises that the person mentioned, which I 
sympathise with. It's probably even more important than ever to to um, you know to maintain and fortify the chitta on what it can be fortified by, because what we're seeing and seeing time and time again is that uh, you know all, all the systems and structures that we have taken as norms. Uh, some of them are cracking up. You know the economic model the domination model, you know, we are the rulers of the planet, we can do what we want, it's our right, God gave us a planet to do what we like with, we can, you know, we can kill other creatures and eat them, you know, and that's fine, that's our right, our God-given right, <laughs> this sort of stuff, <laughs> you know, we're the best nation, we're the supreme intelligence, and our culture is the highest, you know, culmination of human wisdom is available at this time where it's kind of stuff that we get into and just be a little more humble and uh and a bit more um you know sharing and generous and learn perhaps we have to live um less on the peak uh, because it's a fragile situation we're in and as a society, that has to be learned. I don't know. I think there's a lot of good things that are being understood about interconnection and ecology and fairness and justice and, you know, and social action. A lot of good things are being learned and understood. Um, it takes time for this process to, to really trickle down or move into the mainstream. And if you look into the, certainly if you look into the fundamental political model, it's almost lagging behind. It's, it's the most embarrassingly <laughs> aspect of human existence because it's all about nationalism and domination <laughs> and polarization. And, you know, so you look at that, which is often what you get in the media, you get all the political stuff. Uh, and, and, and so you've got to just wait a minute. This is just, um, this is not the whole story of humanity. The story of humanity occurs when you talk to the person next door and you invite them around and you, you know, that's the story of humanity. The story of humanity is when you meet the girl on the street who's broke and you give them, a, you give them some money. That's the story of humanity. That's the real story. That's the story of humanity when, you know, 10 of you get together and share and do something you know and help each other that's the story of humanity this other stuff is the story of yeah the, the um confused uh, domination aspect of the human beings are subject to that we fortify the jitta with kindness and uh, goodwill and modesty and letting go of some of our own Actually, the truth of the matter is there's, there's enough resources on this planet to care for us all. But you can't keep going with this massive inequality, massive accumulation of resources in a tiny minority of people. Yeah. But if we could all get on if we shared. Uh, uh, and when you look around, you know, and you, you see some of this, it's just, it's, it's always heartbreaking uh, to see the, the destruction that the dysfunctional human can create. There's been nothing so destructive 
on this planet, dinosaurs were like kitty cats compared with us. <laughs> and uh, there could be nothing, as it says, nothing is so destructive as an ill-directed jitta. Nothing can do anything so much harm as an ill-directed jitta. Look at it the other way. Nothing can do so much good as a well-directed jitta. Simple story is we have to feed the jitta on the right thing and it will know the right direction. It's quite natural once you feed it the right food, it, it comes out of its craziness and, and start, it knows the right direction. It's not new stuff, loving kindness <laughs> and sharing. Okay, question here. And when I talked about the wrapping of the chitta, it sounded like the wrapping could really be made into anything. It's just that we tend to think how habitual wrapping is me. Yeah. How does this account for certain character traits? Ajahn Man was very different from Ajahn Buddhadasa. Do we have a distinct personality? And how about traits that are supposedly innate? Such as being on the autistic spectrum. Is the unwrapped jitta state is nirvana? There's several questions there. Habitual wrapping tends to form me. Um, character traits are called um, vasana, is the term. Um, Using Buddhist parlance means Ajahn Mahabhu is very different from Ajahn Chah. Different standard styles, and yet you could say they all, they all practice samadhi, they all experience loving kindness, they all served and gave what they could to their practitioners in some ways they are the hearts are the same but they're they have different um vasanas or traces and it's said that you know even the arahants have traces um but they're not that which occlude the chitta they just give it a particular you know idiosyncratic slant to it like you speak with a hungarian accent or an italian accent but it's still you you know, you can get the message. Mm. I don't know about the autistic spectrum. Um, the unwrapped jitter state is nirvana. Well, I'm cautious about states and, um, you know, it's trying to stabilize something. But unwrapping is just another way of saying unbinding. And unbinding is nibbaning, nibbana as a verb. And in that process of unbinding jitta, then, you know, as it's so often uh, remarked, when it's unbound, there's nothing you can say about it. <laughs> that's really final. Uh, that, that's the point is made several times. You can't actually say much about it. You can say, well, it's not. It's not constricted. But as soon as you try to put it in some box or another, you try to constrict the unconstricted. Or as um, this one is dialogues between Marco Tito and Sariputta says, you're trying to conceptually construe and proliferate around something that you can't do. Um, you know, so this is this, you get this point, is the, what is the unconditioned jitta, the deathless jitta? I want that one, that little thing. I can understand that. It's very intellectually teasing 
you know, what is that? You know, so well, and the Buddha saying, well, this kind of questioning, understandable, doesn't get you there. <laughs> so he had a, a particular way of answering questions. Some questions, yes, no. Some questions, silent. Some question, put aside as irrelevant. And some questions say, well, in this case, it's this and that. And but you generally say this. Does, uh, does this answer in this question, can it lead you in the right direction? If it can't lead you in the right direction, don't bother with it. <laughs> and I, unfortunately, I think the nature of the unconditioned jitta is one of those <laughs> questions that, you know, if you, you get your head around it, that process of having your head stuck in that idea doesn't help to liberate you. It maybe encourages you. To, to further, then it's good. But if you're trying to get it down, nail it, then it's going to um, cause obstacles. So, person commenting on some something I said a while ago, um, years ago. Manas is an organ for the chitta. Chitta was awareness, and manas is more the consciousness, intellect, or mind, con mind consciousness. Jitta is that knowing, the witnessing part of the mind, and manas is the thinking, measuring aspect of mind. Something like that. Um, the two are linked, you know, it's like uh, you know, the manas only does the thinking because jitta tells it to. <laughs> you know, the energy comes from jitta, the intention comes from jitta, so you figure that out, and then the manas, okay, what about this? What about that? The manas formulates the concepts, notions, ideas, plans. It does it, but the jitta switches it on. And so it's you know it says that, but also it can switch it off. And there's a saying here that that place where manas ceases can be understood. It means you, your jitta can be there when the manas switches off. So defilements in the manas are to do with, um, you know, incorrect handling of perceptions, so insensitivities. Um, but mostly defilements are associated with chitta. They could just be malfunctioning of manas, like your memory loss. It's not a defilement. So manas, in a way, is is neither not really defiled or undefiled, it's just the function like your feet or your fingers, it can be a bit numb and clumsy. But defiled, the term defiled refers to the obscurations and blind spots and um, reactive patches of chitta. So purification of chitta. So this is actually through using manas skillfully. You know, so this, as I was saying, vitaka vichara means using, being able to use that, ask the manas faculty, just give me that one touch of experience, just not the whole thing, just that, what's that, just that, just, uh, uh, that's it, just pruning it, so limiting manas, so it doesn't, you know, flood with all kinds of conceptual proliferations and complications. And then also getting the manas faculty to pause and open oh, and listen. 
And then the connection between manas and chitta. Chitta is using manas skillfully. Manas is saying this is a perception. This way it uses skillful perception. When the two relate to each other, we begin to know. If I give attention that way, my mind gets, my chitta gets agitated and anxious and jangled. If I point it that way, it becomes steady, strong, resilient, loving. So therefore you train your chitta to point the manas faculty in a suitable direction. This is yoniso manasikara, skillful attention. And through this, chitta is purified. Well, it's, it's part of the process anyway, because the more you do that, eventually not feeding and reiterating the confused, defiled aspects. So it's rather like having a rash. Um, if you just don't keep scratching it, then it will heal. But oh, I feel itchy. Just don't keep scratching it. <laughs> but I feel so itchy. Well, look, put your attention on this instead. Yeah. So you, you, it's a process of diversion. Don't keep going to that place where you just get angry and fearful and worried. The more you go there, the more you keep deepening and causing that thing to be inflamed. Put attention where you feel more confident and calm and blessed. And give attention to that. And then that chitta becomes strengthened that. When it's strengthened like that, yeah, it begins by itself to cure the rash. Now it's not that these, these rashes, I'm calling them sore spots, we feel hurt, we feel wounded, we feel mistreated. Yeah, that's true. And like, who isn't? <laughs> okay. So you just go picking away at it, getting indignant, flapping, getting agitated by it. Is that really going to be pragmatically useful? You go to somewhere where you feel more comfortable, dignified, happy, joyful, get the chitta strong. Then you can return to those agitated places and just put the healing balm on it. Quality of metta, quality of steadiness, the quality of wisdom. Until you've established and fortified the chitta, it doesn't have the qualities that can do the healing. So through the skillful use of manas, chitta can be turned towards places and areas where it begins to get some strength and some healing properties, then it can clear these um, difficulties. Defiled jitta just goes into the difficulties and makes more of them and even creates them. Practicing with grief. Lost the beloved uncle this morning. Appreciate thoughts on the contractions caused by the mix of intense emotions that seem to come with grief memories, gratitude, love, and sense of loss. Yeah. I practice with it, with grief, by um, not practicing with it. <laughs> um, but by actually opening to it. Uh, uh, it's something that the heart does as a, as a way of, of 
bringing its grief is is, is a certain certain richness of these emotional overflows and it's there to in a way um, um, compensate for the sense of loss Um, but the um, more perhaps more dumbic and useful or cultivations in a time of loss is to just consider well what is lost what is lost um, what is held what is gained um, what and you you your beloved uncle well there's a perception there's the memory there's the feeling of the emotional resonances is it possible to linger in those not what's lost but what's present mm-hmm. lingering what's present mm-hmm. in the sense of fondness gratitude appreciation that's present so what do we have you know <laughs> How much contact do we have? Perceptions, impressions, so we were grateful that we had some, we had a beloved uncle, and we had connection. And can we, okay, grateful and wish them well. If their jitter is moving on, transform your understandable sense of grief and loss, transform it into blessing, blessing, blessing. And if you feel very, you know, destabilized, you're referring to uh, just um, nature, um, breathing, body, prayer. That will help to give us some orientation for mind is is disoriented. So someone is asking, is jitta the unconditioned? Can the unconditioned Chitta be accurately viewed as our human essence. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> certainly there's a reference to the unconditioned. There's reference to turning to the deathless. Um, I don't see a reference to an unconditioned chitta. Um, it's uh, another one of those anomalies. And um, we might say, just as an analogy, if I say, you know, like, look at the space, I hold my hand up, so the fingers and the thumb are touching in this little, like uh, like I'm holding a ball. So you space like a size of a ball in your hand. That can be measured. Now, as as the chitta unbinds, releases the fingers and the thumbs, the space... What size is it? What shape is it? Where did it go? Where did it come from? So when the jitta releases, what can be said about big, small, even, you know, jitta is often associated with some degree of intention. So sometimes intention or having a direction. And so our practice in the broad term is the direction is towards um, 
you know, purity, towards liberation. And as these, these processes bear fruit, the jitta relaxes, loses a little more of its features, a little more of its distinguishing characteristics. So the jitta kind of evaporates, you might say, in release, um, which is neither exactly present nor absent. Oh, someone asks, this is a good one, I think. Well, I think they're all good. Yesterday suggested that vipassana was not the best way to practice. I'm confused. Shouldn't we be aware in every moment? I thought moment-to-moment -moment awareness meant continuous awareness, which is surely good. Yeah, I think that is good. But um, I don't see what the word vipassana, how that relates to these other two sentences. Mm -hmm. Awareness in every moment means, well, continual awareness means, say, um, continuing sati sampajanya, mindfulness. Yeah. Vipassana depends how you use it, but in the suttas it refers just to uh, examining or, or looking into the nature of what conditions support phenomena. So you might say this, this mind state is based upon conceit or worry or ill will. So we look into the conditions that are supporting current mind state. Um, um, and we look into how changeable that mind state is. So we keep, in a way, undermining the fixity of the conditioned processes that support habitual mind states. So then this looking into it and realizing the groundlessness of uh, grasping, greed, uh, aversion, because there's nothing that one can have, nothing that one can really defend oneself from in terms of conditions. So insight realization leads to that release from grasping. Vipassana is a tool to see into the groundless, um, or impermanent uh, nature of conditioning based upon confusion, mis misinterpretations. This is seen, Vipassana leads to the release of the citta from these foundations. Now, as I said, this is a long-standing tradition and over time this word vipassana has been used as a way of describing a particular kind of meditation system which very much um, inclines towards moment-by-moment -moment analysis. And this experience, as the questioner asks, moment-to-moment -moment awareness, well how long is a moment? When does a moment begin and when does a moment end? Is the word moment a valid reference? Is it a useful reference? 
Uh, it's not a reference that um, the Buddha makes, for example. Some of the, you know, Vipassana or so-called Vipassana traditions, they give a lot of emphasis on a very microscopic focus. This can unfortunately, I don't think it's intention, don't think necessarily, but can lead to a, a rather contracted uh, uh, an analytical mind state. Um, and some of the qualities of heart are lost. Um, now what's more significant to me, I would say, and this is something obviously each person can look for themselves and consider, is not the momentariness of it, but what the tide of the mind state is doing. Is this mind state supported by your will and goodwill? So rather than looking at the momentary nature, look into the ethical quality of it. You know, like if we shoot an arrow, what is more significant? Is it more significant to notice exactly how the arrow progresses moment by moment? Or is it more significant to say, well, you shouldn't shoot arrows or don't shoot an arrow at this deer, you know, shoot it into a target. What's more significant is the motivation behind shooting the arrow and realizing the effect of shooting it. And that's not a moment thing. That's, that's looking into the, the tidal qualities of confusion or ill will that arise. Then we have insight into that. Yes, yeah, certainly, you know, one is doing some work, um, but moment by moment really refers to what is the present moment, for example. <laughs> you know, when did it begin? When does it end? Is there a big, you know... Uh... <laughs> and so some traditions have got it down to like a present moment is like one nanosecond or something. Well, what's the point of that? <laughs> even it's so refined, the present moment, that only a Buddha could, could even perceive it. Well, what's the point of that? You know, surely the point is not how refined your attention is in terms of moments, but whether it's tuned into, you know, this is the quality of, of, of anxiety arising. And there's no particular time frame around it. You know? So we, I think this, this to me is, is where these, this term Vipassana can go astray. So Vipassana doesn't mean continuous awareness. It means uh, uh, looking into, analyzing. And I would suggest it's more important to analyze and look into the ethical and uh, quality of the mind um, rather than the time frame of it. Another question. To what extent is the observation of bodily emotional states dissociation? Where is what, to what extent is the observing of somatic emotional states? You know, those energies that warm you, flood you, stir, you can feel them in your body, you can feel them in the heart. To what extent is observing that 
dissociation, which means we, we kind of cut off from it, we abstract from it. There's no, uh, no meeting of it. Um, when to occupy and when to observe. When to occupy, I imagine occupy the emotional state and when to observe it. I would suggest there's another possibility which is non-occupying and non-observing but getting in touch with, touching it and referring to it. Um, not occupying it uh, but um, meeting it and meeting it uh, in, in, your, in your body. Remember where contact the real thing occurs, it's where the, the chitta and the body energy come together. Right? So it's when the, the mood or the feeling and the place or the time or the experience where you can feel that in your body, meet it there. Right? When you feel the warming effect or a stirring effect or the arousing effect or the struggling effect, meet it that emotion where it's occurring, when it's occurring, where it's occurring in the body. Meet it means you, you bring your attention around that experience, but you don't merge with it. You don't think about it in some abstracting way. You don't make a person out of it. You don't uh, plan what you should be you just learn how to meet it. Now learning how to meet jitta can do that. Jitta has an energy uh, and if the jitta is fortified, encouraged, it's rather like almost got a substance to it. I mean, this is perhaps putting it too strongly, but we can feel the presence of a steady jitta touching into the unsteady places and wrap around it you might say this is when chitta is awareness that we are aware of but we're not thinking about we're not planning it we're not even trying to make it change we're just placing an embodied felt awareness close to, around the emotional state. Let it do what it does. Uh, emotions have their energies and awareness has an energetic basis which is steady, open and equanimous. You put them together and see what happens. Yeah. the quality of awareness which is it's a very it's an equanimous quality and it's a very wide open quality and then the emotional state is more heated or flavored or colored and that begins to diffuse and level and, and ease up just through awareness meeting it not through trying to get rid of it or trying to solve it or trying to not have it or anything like that. So you meet it with awareness. 
Now, if you're meeting in your body, you might say you feel very agitated in your throat. So you might say, okay, well, I feel pretty good in my belly. That's okay, my back. So just lingering there and then from there extending your awareness up to the area that's more difficult. And that allows the energy of that difficult area to discharge because you've created a connection to it. And so you, the awareness also has intelligence to it. You can witness what's going on. So the property of jitta is both uh, energy, you could say it's an energetic medium. It's uh, a medium that can expand. It can be very wide. It's a medium that can be really receptive and listen. Uh, and it's a medium that's sensitive. It can sense. And it can, it's intelligent. It can sense that's about that and that's there. And as an emotional, you know, uh, congestion is begins to be released, you could, the witnessing mind can say, oh, oh, this is because of that. This was supported by that. Uh, or maybe just, oh, it's, it's not self. It's not me. It's just something that happened. It's not him doing horrible things to me. It's just, this is just this. And it's intelligent as well. So there's many facets um, we can see or we can talk about in this chitta realm. Um, but what the result of it, using it skillfully, it purifies, it gives understanding, it gives balance, it gives strength. Then we can meet emotions without fear and with security and with uh, compassion. So let's um, pause there for now. Thank you. Um, I may have been helpful and may not. Uh, <laughs> the way it goes. Uh, uh, but some of this, maybe some of these things that you've asked have helped other people. Some of the things you brought up, other people have been moved by, touched by, and given them some hints. So thank you for your questions and um, thank you for listening. So we'll pause now.